0: Sarah described this passage as the one in which King David dances in his pants. So uh, be, be prepared for an interesting Bible story. 2 Samuel 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called the name the name of the Lord Almighty, who was throned between the cherubim and the ark. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, who was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, tambourines, rattles, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the Ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the Ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, King David was told... The Lord has blessed the household of obed and everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of obed to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and the entire house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing, Before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women. All the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to me, Cal, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler of the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Amen.
1: Thank you for reading that passage to us. It's one of those passages that... There's about 15 sermons in there. You'll be glad I'm only going to preach one to you this morning. But let's pray, shall we, as we come and we gather around God's word this morning. Lord, I just want to pray that you'll give us open hearts today. I just want to pray that that sense of abandonment which David had in praising you, that sense of his whole life given over to you at the end of that passage, will somehow resonate within our hearts today. Lord, may we say, lift up your name in all the earth. But help it start with me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I've asked this question before, but I'm going to ask it again. Are we still enjoying the football? Yeah, yeah. Whatever our view of football is, at the moment, there is absolutely no escaping it, is there? Today, it doesn't matter where you go. If England score a goal you will hear cheering. If you're walking down the canal, if you're in your greenhouse doing the tomatoes to escape from the football, you will still hear cheering. Sometimes, things cause a spontaneous outburst of noise. And football, probably more than any other sport, creates that outburst of noise. And it conjures up songs, doesn't it? Have you noticed how many songs have been sung with the football? So we've not only got the national anthem, it's coming home, and this year's new favorite, Sweet Caroline. Have you noticed, here's a point for you, have you noticed how similar the tune is to Shine Jesus Shine? Listen to it next time. And if you want to sing Shine Jesus Shine as a prayer over the nation instead of singing Sweet Caroline, do that later on. But just listen to it. You'll be trying to get that out of your head now, won't you? But there is something about crowds singing, about people celebrating that causes us to sing. And singing can be that overspill of the heart. We sing when actually th- there is nothing left to say, there is nothing left to do, and it just sort of pours out of us. We sing to celebrate. We sing at birthdays, at Christmas, at national events, at the football. God's people have always sung. It was said of the early Methodist movement, they were a people birthed in song. And I think one of the most painful things of the pandemic has been the virtual silencing of our corporate voices in praise. But in God's economy, singing is an overflow of a heart that is led in obedience by the Lord. A heart that is dedicated to God. But you know we can sing in a way that isn't dedicated. We can sing words, we we can proclaim things that actually doesn't resonate deeply within us. That is not what God has in mind. Look at this from the prophet Amos. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your hearts, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like an ever-failing stream. God's heart is that we sing, absolutely, but it's it's the overspill of what is going on deep inside. What's the song of your heart this morning? Not what's the song of your lips, but what's the song of your heart? What's going on deep, deep inside of you? Well, 2 Samuel 6, as Lester read it to us, we will see that it's a passage that is full of dancing and singing. Lots of it going on, lots of noise, lots of instruments that we probably hadn't heard of before that are in that passage. Now, the backdrop of the story is that the Ark of the Covenant, the most sacred treasure in all of Israel, is being taken up to Jerusalem. Now, if you've been joining with us on the tour, you will hopefully remember that inside the Ark of the Covenant is kept the tablets on which were written the Ten Commandments, And then the book of Hebrews tells us that Aaron's rod is in there as well, Aaron's rod that budded, and a pot of manna from the time in the wilderness. Now, Sam was taking us through last week how David has been anointed king, and David wants to establish his rule under the reign and rule of God. So by moving the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, it puts the presence of God right at the center of national life. The chapter we've read is really a chapter of two halves. The first part, verses 1 to 11, is the first attempt at the ark being brought to Jerusalem, which ends in tragedy. And then the second part is the more successful attempt, the successful attempt to bring the ark into Jerusalem, albeit with that very heated argument between David and his wife. So let's have a look and contrast these two songs. I'm calling the first one the song without substance, because there's a lot of singing going on, but there's not a lot of obedience to God. A lot of noise, but the obedience is lacking. Some songs go on for a long time without saying anything, don't they? I'm not just talking about the kind of songs we sing in church. I'm talking about all kinds of songs. Apparently, there there is a piece of music by the avant-garde composer John Cage, which is meant to last for 629 years. Unless you're Methuselah, I don't suggest listening to that one. But what goes on in these verses? What is wrong in what goes on here? What is is taking place that that displeases the Lord? Well, in verse 3, David sets off and the ark of God is put on a brand new cart. Now, we might read this and think, well, brilliant. You know, David is investing in a new mode of transport for the ark. This is something that that honors the ark. It's, It's something that shows that it's special. Except this was not what God had said. This was a Philistine custom that David was just carrying on into the life of Israel. If you dig back into the law, you can find out that whenever the holy things, the ark was to be moved, you can look at this in Exodus 25 and Numbers 4 to 6, the ark should only ever be carried and only ever carried by Levites. Yet here is David ignoring what God has said and putting the ark on a cart. But off they go and there's all this singing, there's all this shouting, there's these playing of these instruments that would make an absolute racket, this praise, this shouting out. It's one thing to make a lot of noise. It's another thing to let that noise resonate, what we're praising God for to let it resonate in our hearts. You know, we've been singing this morning, lift up his name with the sound of singing. Now, we join with the hosts of heaven when we praise the Lord. But those songs, they need to sing into our hearts as well, that the gospel is preached to ourselves, that we resonate with what God wants for us. When the psalmist says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, you have to first let it resonate within yourself. Let those areas of my life that are not yet under the lordship of God, let those areas first be brought under submission, and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Tragedy is around the corner. In verse 6, it says that the, the covenant is, the Ark of the Covenant is brought on this cart, and it comes to a place called the threshing floor of Nacon. And the oxen, these oxen pulling the cart, they stumble. And you can imagine the scene. One of the oxen trips and the cart is just tipping slightly off. And Uzar, a man we don't know anything about other than what it says in here and what it says in the parallel passage in, the, in Chronicles, he does what I guess is the instinctive thing. What do you do if something is falling over and you can stop it? You reach out, don't you? You stop it falling. You, you stop the thing being damaged. But in doing so, he dies. The Lord strikes him down. Now, we can read this and we can think, why, Lord? This is just somebody trying to protect a holy object. This is somebody trying to do what he thinks is the right thing. And this appears to be David's reaction in verse 8. David is angry with God. David becomes fearful of God. At times we can read these Old Testament passages and we can struggle to understand them. You know, that is okay to struggle. It's okay to ask those deeper questions. What is going on here? And sometimes we have to say this side of eternity, we won't get the full answer. But I think what we can do here is do a bit of digging down and see how consistent God is to his word. We can look and see the reasons. Now, to understand that, we have to dig back into the law. The book of Numbers, we've already mentioned it already, and it says here in Numbers 4, verse 15, even the Levites, when they are carrying the ark, they must not touch the holy things, or they will die. Uzzah totally ignored what God has said. He reaches out to touch the holy things, and so what God has said comes to pass. Since I've been this high, and we'll have all been the same, we've been taught, haven't we, that if you touch something that's really hot, it will burn you. I remember being taught as a little child not to go near pans of hot water or pans of hot milk or whatever it was and to stay away from the oven, stay away from the cooker, stay away from those hot things. Now, if I decide as an adult, oh, forget that, that was all a load of rubbish and I'm cooking vegetables this afternoon and something is unsteady on the the hob and I go to pick it up like that, what's going to happen? I'm going to get burnt. I'm going to get burnt. This is what Uzar is doing in a sense. He's, he's not listening to what God has already said. Those things that should have been instinctive to him have not resonated in his heart. Sometimes it's really important that the things that we know God has said, that they dwell deeply in us, that they take root deep in our lives. Uzar simply hadn't realized just how holy God is, just how important it was to keep God's law, just how important it was to do things God's way. One writer puts it like this. He may have had good intentions, but his attitude towards God was wrong. He showed no respect for God's word. He didn't take it seriously. He didn't take it seriously. And he paid the consequences. Forward wine to us. We live in the times of the New Testament, under the new covenant. Jesus has died so that we may go free. We do not suffer the same judgment in our day-to-day lives that happen in these passages here. The the sin has been taken from us. We can walk in freedom through the gospel. That is why the gospel is such amazingly good news. But once we've been saved by grace through faith, how do we respond to God? How do we respond to these things that God has for us? We see good intentions are not the right response to God. That is not what God ever calls us to be. He doesn't say, oh, just be people with good intentions. He calls us to be people whose lives resonate with his love, with what he wants for us, with what he wants us to do. We live in a, a culture that I think quite regularly wants to live life based on feelings. You know, if it feels okay to me, that means it's all right. If it seems all right in my eyes, then that means God must give it the tick as well, and it must be okay. And so the baseline for human behavior is, well, if it feels all right for me, that's okay. This passage is a real reminder to focus On God's ways. You know, we might start to think those things in our use of money or in relationships or sex or how we spend our time, it might be our attitudes or ambitions. And the call of God here is do things my way. Holiness is the best way to be happy. Holiness is the best way to live as God wants. Holiness is that a lifestyle that links us up exactly with what God has for us. What is the song of your heart today? Is it a song of substance? Is it a song of the substance of God's word? Where everything we do, we want to do it God's way. We want to do it the right way. We want to do it in a God-honoring way. David missed the, the plot here. User missed the plot, and it all went wrong. Let's look at the second song. David has got angry. He's full of fear and resentment. His attempts to honor the Lord have resulted in a man dying. And for three months he sort of clears off back to Jerusalem and he leaves the ark in the house of Obed-Edom. Strangely, this man becomes blessed by the very presence of God in his midst. There is blessing that falls on him here. And so David, he must have seen what has happened. He must have thought, actually, well, the ark, if you treat it right, if you do what God says, is a great thing to have the presence of God in our midst. And so he goes to get it. If you've got a Bible, look at verse 13. Gone is the Philistine-modeled car the ark this time is carried. It's done the way that God said it should be done. But this time, something really interesting happens. David is humbled, but not humiliated before the Lord. Verse 14, David is wearing a linen ephod. Now, what, what is this? What, what is he wearing here? There's quite a lot of discussions about what, what this is. Um, but we have to ignore, in a sense, Mikhail's comments later on. He, he's not naked here. He's not being a vulgar fellow, which, by the way, is an incredibly tr- um, polite translation of what the Hebrew actually means. But he is dressed simply as a priest would dress. It's very simple sort of garment that, that would go around the lower part of a, of a priest. And it's in a sense here that, that David's kingship must be humbled before the Lord. He won't be humiliated before the people, but he will be humbled before the people. He will be brought down, and the sovereignty of God must be established over his kingship. His dancing and praise are now totally appropriate because they are kept in line with what God has already said. He does things God's way. He wants the presence of God at the heart of Israel. What do you want in your life today? What is it that you want? What is that one thing that makes your heart sing? Is it to live life God's way? Is it to seek in everything that we do to know the Lord more and more? Is the song of our heart that song that says, actually, God, I just want your presence at the center of my life, and I want everything to work out from there? Or is the song of our heart a selfish one? Does the song of our heart lack the substance God's Word. You know, it can be very easy, can't it, to pay lip service to God, to sing songs, to, to speak out words that speak out words of praise, and yet those same words not to be speaking into our innermost being. The gospel isn't being preached to ourselves, it's just being spoken as words. Are we doing that both and today in our lives? You see, David in this passage, he learned that actually what God isn't after is lots more noise. That is not what God has ever been after. God is after an undivided heart. God is after a heart that longs to resonate with his song, deep within. A heart whose one desire is to do things completely, unashamedly, and confidently God's way. And when we do that, David found out, sometimes you run into problems. There's the blazing row at the end of this passage. We haven't got time to go into it this morning. But he comes up against struggles by doing things God's way. Is our desire today to let the song of our heart be the song that Jesus would sing over us, over our entire lives, over our homes, over our families, over relationships, our money, our church life, our attitudes. And yes, even how we behave, if England wins, or dare I say it, loses, (laughs) is that song the song that's being sung over us. I want us just for a few moments to reflect on how David sort of turned this passage into, well, there's probably other instances in his life as well, turned it into a prayer. You may want to pray these words from Psalm 86 as a prayer over your own life as well, that we may follow in God's ways, that we may have, as David calls it, an undivided heart, a heart whose song is the song that the Lord would want us to sing. So can I ask us just to spend just a moment in quiet, I will read these words and perhaps you want to pray these words into your own life. Let me pray for us. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you Lord, my God, with all my heart, I will glorify your name forever. I'll just read those two verses again. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord, my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. And so, Lord, help the song of our hearts today to be a song that would honor you. Help our lives, our living, our speaking, our acting to all honor your name. And help us learn from David in that way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.